You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning. Great being with you guys. I hope that maybe over the last few weeks that you've been reading in your Bibles in 1 Peter, I want to encourage you to read through it. It's a really short little letter. Uh, it was written in the first century to help encourage believers going through hard times, overcoming hardships. Read through it like five to ten times because we're moving through this and I can't cover every verse in depth, so I want to encourage you to do that. As well, what's really great is if you can jump into a neighborhood group and, and learn together with other believers, it can really encourage you in your faith. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. You can sign up for a neighborhood group. It's not too late online anytime you want, today, tomorrow, but this is about the last week before we start a new session of neighborhood groups after Christmas season. Well, at my neighborhood group just last week, it's pretty normal. You know, we go around and then somebody says, you know, at the very end, my wife's really good. She always says, Ryan, we got to save time to pray. You know, MC Hammer, we got to, to make it today, you got to pray. How many remember MC Hammer? Okay, wake up. There we go. Uh, so we pray, and then one of the ladies in our group, young mom, said, pray for me. I'm going to have to have a surgery. So, you know, of course, we're going to pray. We write it down. And that was Wednesday last week. And then uh, Friday, I got a text message from the husband of the young mom, and he said, hey, pray again. She went into surgery, brought, brought her home, but her, she got an incredibly high fever, and we got to rush her to the ER. So we're, I was like on high alert, started praying for her. And then... Uh, you know, I get a message back. She's good. We got her home again. She's good. She's recovered. Young mom got like a four or five year old. And I didn't know what had happened, but there was some interaction between the four and five year old trying to assure her mom that it was going to be okay when she went to the hospital. And it was kind of a scary moment. So on this last Wednesday, I got back and I said, well, tell me how the, how the hospital visit went, how the kids are, everything else. And she said, well, it's kind of funny, you know, I was freaked out, the mom says, I was freaked out about, you know, I've got this really high fever, I gotta go to the emergency room. Um, the husband got the kids, grandparents to get the kids and take them away so they could be there. And this little four or five year old little girl walks up to her mom and says, mom, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. And the mom says, why, why do you say that, sweetie? And she says, well, you know Jesus and if you go, you can just go to Jesus. <laughs> the mom's like, oh! We're all going to die. Um, this morning I woke up. Thankfully, this mom is not going to die. She's doing great. Um, but in the mind of a little child, death is not a scary thing. You know, there's a date of birth and there's a date of death. Um, this morning I come to you and I just want to tell you, like, we've got to live with an eternal perspective. Um, we're living longer. Like, I did uh, research this morning. I pulled up deathclock.com once again. I'm happy to report to you. I've got 1,449,661,243 seconds left to live. On Friday, October... Oh, no, no, now it's September. It's getting worse. <laughs> what happened? It was October this morning. It's changed. September 8, 2064, I'm going to go home on Monday. It was Friday, October 12th, earlier this morning. Um, you know, this is the thing is we're all going to go, we're all going to die, and 
You know, I mean, in today's culture, it's interesting, I go to a funeral, and now we call them celebrations of life, and I'm not against that. I've done a lot of memorial services. Um, and it's very cheery, and it's bright colors and all this stuff, and you don't know if you're at a church celebration service or you're at a memorial service, because I take my kids, and they're like, where are we? At my memorial service, I want to encourage you, you can all wear black, Okay. You can, uh, hopefully you mourn a little bit that I'm gone, but I started thinking this morning about kind of the end for me, and I started thinking, like, how long do I have to live? Um, I uh, probably, hopefully, you know, according to deathclock.com, maybe live 85 years. My vision has always been is to plant one church and pastor it a lifetime. And so that means maybe 25 more years I'd pastor this church for a total of 30, 31 years or so. I'm turning 40 in October, so I'm thinking about these things. And so, you know, I'm thinking, like, what would the church be like? What would we accomplish? I'm thinking, we'll build out this campus. We'll establish a regional church in the North Valley to share and show the love of Christ to all this entire growing neighborhoods all around us in the North Valley. We'd be a church that would help plant churches. We'd be a church that would establish its campuses, venues. We'd be a church that would send missionary teams all across the world. We'd be a church that would... Uh, host conferences to strengthen other churches. We'd be a church that would help uh, create internships and residency programs and train up ministry leaders. That's the kind of church I'm, I'm praying God would use my life for. Because I think it matters. As a young believer, I remember somebody handed me this book, John Piper, Don't Waste Your Life. And I got it And I started thinking about the life that I was going to live as a believer and wondered if I could really make an eternal difference. And I have to say, my greatest enemy is me. I'm constantly struggling to to be fulfilled and excited about all, because I want to accomplish so much in life. And I live with this tension within. Will my life really, really make a difference? And this morning, I'm going to exhort and challenge you not to waste your life. Not to waste your time, not to waste your talents, not to waste your treasure. And I say this to you because I think what, as we're going to jump into Scripture this morning in Peter, I want to I first go to Corinthians and tell you about what the Apostle Paul talks about. When we die and we face Jesus, we have to give an account. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't an appointment that you're going to have with God about whether you get into heaven or not. This is for all believers are going to face this time before Jesus Christ, the high king of heaven. And then we're going to have to give account for the life that we live. Did we use our time? Did we use our talent? Did we use our treasure? Were we faithful to the vision and the mission that he gave each one of you? That's a scary moment for me. Churches don't talk about this stuff, but I want to show you what your Bible says. So let me help you understand this idea, but the the big idea is is what's going to happen when I die or when I face Jesus? That's the question I challenge you. What's Jesus going to say about your life? You're face to face with the king of glory, and you have to give account, how did you live your life? Your kids, your business, your family, your marriage. There's two kinds of believers that we're going to learn about this morning in the passage in Corinthians is the foolish believers 
and the wise believers. Foolish believers are those who have invested their time, their talent, and their treasure into earthly things, and they'll be like ones who just barely escaped the flames of hell, but they're still saved. So let me explain to you, this judgment seat of Christ is not about salvation. Bible teaches, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not by works. It's just the grace of God. But every believer will give account. And there is, what we'll see in the passage, is these foolish believers who kind of squandered their time, squandered their talent, squandered their treasure, and spent it on earthly things instead of eternal things. Then there'll be the wise believers. These are believers that invest their time, talent, and treasure into eternal things. We'll be like the one who receives a great reward from Jesus for being faithful, steward, and a builder. The judgment seat of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Let's look, start there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Let's start there. The apostle Paul starts out and he says, according to the grace of God given to me, he's a church planter. He's planted a church in Corinth. He says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. He's talking about other people in the church. He says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let me stop right there. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that the very foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. It's the message in the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ as Lord. The other day I was at my community center and I talked to one of my neighbors and said, hey, how are you doing? He said, good. And then when I said, hey, i just curious, uh, you know one of my friends. I see you talking to one of my friends. He says, yeah, I know him. Yeah, we met in the steam room. I'm like, okay, that's kind of awkward, okay. But uh, so you know one of my friends and yeah, he said, yeah. I said, you know that guy leads a neighborhood group in our neighborhood? He's like, what's a neighborhood group? It's where we talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives and what we're learning at church. He says, ah, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. But what's your church about? I said, my church is about Jesus. And it's Jesus's church. And there's a bunch of neighbors that are a part of it. See, the very foundation of any good church is Jesus. Here's a guy who doesn't go to church and he even tells me, what's your church about? The easy answer ought to be, it's about Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of the church is about Jesus. Now look what he talks about how believers build on that foundation. You got to put yourself into this text right here so that you can understand not to waste your life, okay? Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 15. Let's look at that. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, that's you and me, we are building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, establishing a church in the North Valley. We're responsible, time, talent, and treasure. We got it. He says, with gold, silver, precious stones. Those are valuable resources that were actually used in Solomon's temple. Those are three different resources you could use to build. Those are, I mean, They're very precious, very valuable. And then he says, here's three others. Wood, hay, straw. Now, you could just be a little tiny kid and be like the big bad wolf, which blow your house down. If you had some three choices of materials to build um, a house, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, which ones would you use? 
you would choose the gold, silver, and precious stone. Look what it says in verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. That d- the word the day is the day. It's the judgment day. It's the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Not for whether you're saved or not saved. It's only for believers. How'd you do? Let's give account for how you lived your life. He says, we'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Did you know that you get a reward for living for Jesus Christ? Jesus said the very same thing in Matthew chapter 6. He talked about laying up treasures not on earth, but laying up treasures in heaven. And that the more we invest into eternal things, the greater the treasure, the greater the reward there is for us in heaven. I'm a person of motivation. I need things to motivate me to move through hardship obstacles. My greatest motivation for fulfilling the calling that God's called upon me at this church is motivated to hear the words from my Savior, my King, my Creator. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what motivates me. He says there will be a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, maybe they built with wood, hay, straw, earthly things, foolish builder, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, as once saved, always saved, but only as through fire. Don't waste your life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, I pray you would awaken believers today to a greater commitment to see themselves as builders of a kingdom that will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us a great commitment and a great purpose to see our identity and the interdependence with other believers so that we can create an incredible influence that's rewarding to us, Lord, but God-glorifying and Christ-exalting towards you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. The passage I want to point into and dive into is 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. I couldn't get out of chapter 2. And the illustration last week was the priesthood. So how many of you guys were here last week? Uh, Those of you that come from a Roman Catholic background probably had like a knee jerk. Oh my goodness, what's he doing? He's got a white collar on. Uh, I was thinking about that. I'm going to give that to the guy who does my memorial service. I just think that would be cool, you know. That'd be, anyway, okay. All right, the passage, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, says this, as you come to him, this is the apostle Peter, he's talking to believers again. There's a correlation here between what I just read to you from Corinthians and 1 Peter. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men This living stone, I'm going to argue that it is Jesus is the living stone. He was rejected according to the prophets. Uh, We'll get to that. But in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, that's all believers, we're like the living stones, says are being built up, we're being built up together as a spiritual house to be holy to be a holy priesthood, that's what we talked about last week, uh, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The illustration this morning is that we're, built, we're building 
each other up like living stones, like a spiritual house. There's an invisible church that you and I represent. There's an invisible kingdom as we move forward in our work, as we move forward in our parenting, as we move forward in our marriage, as we move forward in our, in our uh, in arena of influence. There's a kingdom that we're kind of moving forward. It's called the universal church. It's the large church all around the world. And then there's a local church called North Valley that you're a part of. And we're building it up and we're being built up. The big idea is that what we're going to see between last week and this week that connects is this idea of interdependence. The American mindset is very individualistic. When we read scriptures like this, we tend to individualize our faith. I was reading commentators from outside of the United States and their perspective and their critique was harsh on the American commentators and scholars because we think of our faith as we are the priest. No, okay, yes, you are, have the privileges of a priest. No, you're like a priesthood, plural. You're not just a living stone. You're living stones. You're not just a Christian. You're a part of Christianity. You're not part of just a little church. You're a part of the larger church. God's got a bigger agenda, a bigger plan, a bigger vision. And there's great interdependence woven in here. So let's look at the next little portion of scripture in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 7. For he says this, for it stands in scripture, this is the apostle Peter, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, we'll come back to cornerstone, chosen, we'll come back to that, and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, so honor is for you who believe. The Apostle Peter is referring to um, the prophet Isaiah, um, who's calling upon, the, the prophet was calling upon the Messiah would be the cornerstone. And all of Israel, the, would, the religious leaders would build upon this Messiah, the entire Christian faith is built on the cornerstone is the illustration that is used here. It's also referred to in Romans 9 and 10. And this is kind of the, the stone of all stones. So if you're a builder or a mason, what you would do is you would have this cornerstone. And it would serve, I just took some notes here, is it would be the first stone, stone set in construction. So if you've got a building project... Let's take the White House, for example, which, by the way, the cornerstone of the White House was laid October 3rd, 1792. It was a very large stone set apart, and this would be the stone that the rest of the building structure would come and line up against. The cornerstone for the mason um, would be the most important one. It would set a reference point to determine the position of the entire structure. A cornerstone is very different than a capstone. A capstone is more for decoration. A cornerstone is for interdependence. Weight is pushed against it, against it. Jesus is that cornerstone. You and me as believers are living stones. There's incredible interdependence that's a part of our Christian identity. If we're going to overcome tests, trials, temptations, and troubles, you've got to understand your identity. Not only are you a part of a royal priesthood, but you're a part of a living stones built on a foundation, the cornerstone. 
We're being built up as we grow in our faith together. This idea of chosen, the word literally um, for the word elect means chosen, chosen out one. Jesus is the chosen out one. He's the one that was called by God. He's the chosen one. I don't know if you guys are, I know we do have some football fans, but um, today I'm going to the game. I'm really excited. And there's a new quarterback in the mix, Rosen. So we pray Rosen is chosen. That's the buzz. That's what they're calling them. So we'll we'll see. Um, It's one that's chosen out one is what the word chosen means or elect means. Um, It says in scripture, it says, for it stands in scripture, Peter's reaffirming Old Testament prophecies that this is the one. It's all about Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for you who believe. Now, what about those who don't believe? What about those who don't believe? And Peter gets to that. Look at verse 7. He says, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, that's true, and a stone of stumbling a rock over a fence. The word uh, rock is petra. The word offense is scandalon, and it means scandal. To an unbeliever, Jesus is a, is a trip hazard. He's a frustrating person to get around because he's too exclusive. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Like, that's radical statements. For the unbeliever, Jesus is a trip hazard. Literally, the word uh, rock means pet, is petra in the Greek, and it's this idea that there would be this ledge that's coming up out of the ground, and you would easily trip over it. And so the Apostle Peter wants us to understand that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Many of our traditions have come back and said Peter was the rock, the Petra, that the whole church is built upon. Here's a great proof text to say, no, 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 no. Peter's saying it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. He was the one that was rejected. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. I want to read this to you. This is about the rejection of this suffering servant. Not only does Peter refer to the rejection of the Messiah, the cornerstone, but he also is referring to the exaltation. And in Isaiah, he's referring to the rejection of the suffering servant. So Isaiah 53 I don't have it on the screen for you, but I want to read this to you. You can read along in your Bible. Verses 3 through 6. A prophetic word about the suffering servant. It says this, he was despised. This is is prophetic words hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Jesus' crucifixion. He was despised and rejected by men. That was Jesus. That's our Lord. A man of sorrows. That's Jesus. Acquainted with grief. He knew grief very well. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace." 
And with his wounds, we are healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Not wasting your life absolutely zeroes in on what God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. You can overcome the tests, the trials, the tribulations, the temptations that you go through as you look to the life of Jesus Christ and ask for that power in your life. You absolutely can. The challenge is, is that we're all going to go through tests. We're all going to go through challenges. And the question is, is will we just rely on God to endure this, these challenges? Jesus is this one who is a perfect model for us. And he's a perfect one who as well makes atonement for our sins. He's the suffering servant. He was the rejected one, but he's also this one that will be the one that the builders have chosen. And you and I are those builders. We choose Jesus. We're going to build our life around Jesus. The psalmist uh, proclaims this describes this. Jesus affirmed that he was the cornerstone in Matthew 21. Peter, the apostle, proclaimed that Jesus was the cornerstone that the builders rejected. Now, I know you guys as believers are not rejecting Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, as the foundation to build from, but I am going to ask you this question. What are you going to build your life around? Three stones to build a life of eternal purpose. Here they are. I'll move through these pretty quickly because I want to tell you how we as a church uh, can make an eternal difference. The first one is I want to challenge you. Maybe if you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, even if you have, this has got to stay in, in priority. You build your whole life around Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. You put God first. In everything you do, in all your decisions, you got to realize that you have been directed, you have been protected, and at times you will be corrected. You always got to put God first in your life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Not, not, not your child. He's, you don't need a child-centered home. You need a Jesus-centered home. You don't need a work-centered life where your whole life revolves around work and then you go and make sacrifices on the holy altar of success. That's called idolatry. What you need is a Jesus-centered life. You need Jesus to be the cornerstone to keep you in balance so that you can know how to love your kid but not idolize your child. You need to have a Jesus-centered life where Jesus is the cornerstone so that you can give it your all, use your time, your talent, and your treasure seeing the workplace as a great opportunity for you to serve as a priest among the priesthood of all believers, making the division or, or breaking the division of seeing this divide between the sacred and the secular, step into that office environment and say, today I can act like a priest and serve like a priest because I can serve somebody. I can offer up sacrifices of prayer. I can intercede for somebody. You have to move forward and see that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Here's what the Apostle Paul says into the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. He's talking to those who just placed their faith in Ephesus. These guys were into all sorts of new age, cultish uh, practices. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints, with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself 
being the cornerstone. Consistent. From Old Testament to New Testament, the cornerstone is Jesus. Build your whole life around him. And whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built. That's the good news. Together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 1 Peter 2.7 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Your life before Jesus Christ, you rejected him. Now Jesus is in your life. He's the cornerstone. First stone you lay in your life, Jesus is the cornerstone. You build your whole life around that. Look to God's word as the final authority in your home. Look to God's word as the mediator in your marriage. Look to God's word and just say, these are how we're going to make decisions. Number two, build your life around one another. This plays back into that interdependence uh, metaphor that the apostle Peter had laid out. He said, you are a priesthood of believers, not a solo vigilante priest. You are a priesthood of believers. He called them a holy nation. And then this morning, I'm pushing on the idea, you're a spiritual house. You are the church. You don't just go to church. You are the church. This is what we do is we've got to build one another up. Therefore, according to Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let me thank you, those of you that are in, serving in neighborhood group leaders. You're doing this really well. This is the exhortation where I say to you, you have no idea the impact that you're making in an eternal perspective. I don't even see it. I see some of it. But you are doing that. You are building one another up. You are challenging, encouraging, comforting, counseling, helping people uh, understand how to apply God's word. Moms, meeting up with other believers, moms, this idea of one another. You can't do life alone. You need to encourage one another. As a, a husband and a wife, you need one another. This whole idea of one another is all throughout the New Testament. My encouragement to us as a church is let's just build our lives around this one another business in the New Testament. Jesus said uh, that the world would know that we are disciples of Jesus by the way we love one another. Thirdly, I want to challenge you to build your life around service. Build your life around service. This is what the, uh, Peter says in, in chapter 4. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Did you know every single one of you as a believer, you're given a gift? You have talents. There's natural talents and then there's spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts. Everybody has natural talents in the world. Believers, unbelievers. You see a lot of talented people. But when you become a believer, you're given spiritual gifts. He says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to encourage you to build your life around service. Watch what people do, not what they say. 
What you do is more important than what we say. Talk is cheap. Our life of service is one of the greatest indicators of what we truly believe. Behavior always follows belief. We value what we believe far greater than how we behave because if we believe correctly and base our life around Jesus Christ, the outflow is that we're being built up. And then there are these things that we can do in holy actions and obedience to grow in our faith. And our belief, if we understand our belief, we understand our identity. If we understand our identity, then we grow in interdependence, not independence. If we understand our identity, then we can overcome tests, trials, temptations, and troubles. Because we understand that God is using these things all together, that we are, we'll see later, the power of suffering and the challenge and the hardship that God invites us into to grow us. Build your whole life around service. How are you serving your family? How are you serving at your work? How are you serving at the church? Are you serving at the church? Here's what I want to encourage us to do is making an eternal difference. At this church, North Valley, we're moving from the startup phase to the build-up phase. I want to talk to you in our remaining time about how to make an eternal difference right here at North Valley. I'm here because I feel called by God to be here I had a, somewhat of a, a, a mystical experience and understanding built in with practical research and visiting the city and visiting different people. But I landed here in the North Valley simply through prayer, simply through driving through with my brother some years ago, driving, flying over in a plane and just praying for this city. We could have gone to any city. But I have this sense and calling that God's called me to start up this church, and not only from the startup to the buildup. But here's what I know. There is no way I'm overwhelmed right now. I'm overwhelmed because I see the future, and I'm curious if we can move effectively from the startup to the buildup. I believe we can, but things have to change at North Valley if we're going to build up. Here's what it's going to look like. Number one, I'm going to encourage you, would you join us in God's work and explore being a part of a ministry team? I'm not the holy priest. North Valley is the priesthood of believers. We've got to have every member in ministry. We've got to have every believer has a ministry. I'm telling you, please don't waste your life. One of the greatest values that you could give to this community is your investment into the local church. I'm just saying. I was thinking about it. Like, um, According to deathclock.com, like, I might be 85 years old. And I told some of you guys to come to my funeral, but half of this room won't be here by then. I mean, that's just reality. So, what are we going to do now to make an eternal difference? That when we look down from heaven, we can go, Lord, that is a Jesus-centered, Christ-exalting community that reaches out to share and show the love of Christ to every man, woman, and child in the North Valley. That's the church I was a part of. And I played a key role. Join us in, in doing that. We have growth tracks each week. If you're a ministry leader, if you're, um, and you haven't done that, please go through that. Very, very important. Number two, um, I want to encourage you um, to move from the startup phase to the build-up phase, there's three ways that you can, the, the second way that you can help us is take your next step in giving. And you say, how does giving relate to, to ministry? It, it totally relates. Um, 
I want to talk to you. We've got on your envelopes right here, we have the general fund. That fuels our ministry operations. It makes sure that the staff get a paycheck. It makes sure that our bills are paid. It services our mortgage. It's crucial. This is the, the startup, the little regional missionary base called North Valley that God wants to use, I believe, to penetrate and permeate the love of Jesus Christ all throughout uh, the North Valley and beyond. General fund is crucial. My encouragement to you is if that you don't give anything, nothing in that nothing category, would you take a first step and go, I'm going to give something to help fuel the mission and the vision of what we're trying to do here, reaching the North Valley for Jesus Christ. Maybe if you're giving in the something category, maybe you say, well, I'm gonna move from something to give significantly. If you're in the significant category, maybe would you just take your next step and give sacrificially, that you would do that. General fund is priority number one. If this is your place of worship, if this is your home, be a part of the team. Um, Jesus says, wherever you put your money, that shows where your heart is. If your heart's here, invest here. That's my encouragement to you. Now, what is it going to do? So the general fund, then there's a hope offering. By the way, the general fund helps fuel. We give a percentage back towards church planting, starting and strengthening churches. Then we have the hope offering. The hope offering helps fuel local and global mission initiatives. Um, that's an incredible opportunity for us to reach out, share, and show the love of Jesus. It also helps us with our big outreach days of Christmas, Easter. Those are huge times for the community to be a part and hear about Jesus and the work he's doing in our church. But the hope offering is really important. Mercy, we're going to have to update this. That actually falls into hope offering. So I want to encourage you if, um, I'd say, make your priority towards general, and then we have campus development. Now, let me talk to you about campus development just for a few minutes. Um, our church is growing. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture of the junior high high school kids, or junior high. Um, I think I got a picture of a crowded room. That's a, a front building. I'll come back to that. Over the last six to eight weeks, we have exceeded the occupancy codes for that building. So there is no more space there. We have way exceeded that for six to eight weeks in a row. That is a problem for us to operate like that, okay? So does everybody hear me on that? So the entire building, there might be an, a classroom that has room to grow, but the entire building, each service, first service, second service, is way over capacity for the last six to eight weeks in a row. So what do we do? Um, I wanna show you this building that uh, up front we need to open up more ministry space um, right there. We want to use that for the long-term home of junior high and high school kids. And then we'd finally have a location. I mean, next week we're starting and we have to have high school kids. We need them outside in the Ramada because we just don't have any space. Um, it's, it's, just, it's a small growing ministry or junior highs piled into that kids building. And it's wearing out the rest of the kids. It's too much. The younger kids need space. We don't have the money to go there right now, but here's what I want to say, let's start doing. This is the Campus Development Fund. It's on your deal. It's online too. If you want to give towards building and developing, I want to encourage you to do that. You might say to me, well, what about the rest of the land projects? What else that's going on with North Valley? Here's what I encourage you to do. Email leslie at northvalleychurch.org. I'll meet with you in person. And I, in a few weeks, I think I'll be able to give a big update to the whole church as where we're at with land. We still, I think we still need to get one more piece of property right up 
in front of us where those little uh, Hawaiian ramadas are, are um, in order. I think that's our next step, future down the road. But I want to talk to you about that at another time. So what do we need to do right now? Here's what we need to do right now. Maybe go back to that picture with the kids. Um, we need to create outdoor space for kids immediately. If the fire marshal came out, I'm just saying this publicly because I serve on behalf of you and serve, report back to everybody else. I'm ultimately responsible for the whole operations of the church. My name's on the line. That's fine. I like the pressure. We're good. Um, so we're in violation. Clear violate. I'm just telling you, this is your church just as much as it is my church, and it's really all of Jesus' church, but we are living stones, interdependent. So if you want to do what is right, I would encourage you to make a step and say, I'm going to contribute towards that campus development fund. Right now, we've got early estimates. If we had ten dollars to $15,000, we could build some really cool outdoor ministry space as an interim which still could be used when we go back and we improve this, let's go back to that building, when we develop this. And my hope, prayer, and we're in the planning process right now, um, right before Easter, we're gonna start a major resource initiative so that we can improve this entire site. So we can potentially, if we have enough money to get better surfaces for our parking, so that we can improve all these buildings, so that we can get better lights. We have women's ministry at night and they're walking in the dark. This place was the biggest fixer-upper in the North Valley. That's what we bought, okay? So that's what we got, that's reality, and we need to design a pathway to get to our desired future. So I'm asking you, if you wanna contribute, Campus Development Fund, if that, if that fills up, 10 to 15,000 more dollars, We'll open up kids' space outside during a primetime weather environment, and um, we're going to do that interim. And my prayer is, in faith, that by May of 2019, we got significant construction and renovations going on in this church. The church is growing. Let's invest. We're builders. We are the builders. We're the builders of the North Valley in the sense of we're here first, 600 homes are coming in right over there. We're responsible to build a church, Jesus-centered church, sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ, giving it a, a, a facility, a platform where families can come and grow, be a part of the life-changing uh, ministry of North Valley. Last but not least, I want to tell you, next week we're going to help open up a new church. You guys have given generously over years in the past. I want to invite up to you a very fr special friend of mine, Pastor John and Craig Nelson is going to, we're going to pray for this guy. And uh, Elder Andy is going to come, I think. And uh, John is planting a church called Mission Grove in the Desert Ridge area. And so next week, you guys are launching. You're so tall, I'll stand over here. So, um, so you're planting a church next week, starting it up. You got your core team. I think we got a picture of it right here. Um, they're starting in what's been called the um, church planters graveyard in Desert Ridge. How many of you guys, just be really honest with me, are not currently planned to serve next week? Just raise your hand. Not currently planned to serve next week. Just raise your hand. Okay. Would you prayerfully consider going with this guy and helping him launch the first church service they have ever launched in Desert Ridge? Would you do that? And so if so, Pastor Craig's the guy that you're going to talk to at the Connection Corner. We're going to do this over both services. 
We've been investing financially, giving back from our general fund. We help as well out with our hope offering to invest into guys like this, top-notch leaders that we believe in. And there's a pool of churches that are all coming together, but he needs people. And so we're going to pray for you. Um, I'm going to ask Pastor Craig to start. And then go ahead and start. And then why don't you give that microphone to Andy. And then John's going to be available to meet up after services. So, Pastor Craig, will you pray? Father, we look to you for um, wisdom, discernment, decision-making in our, in our lives individually. We pray specifically for John that the, that, you would, that the gift of wisdom and discernment supernatural would be bestowed upon him, uh, that he would uh, just really see your hand at work and give him uh, the, the peace and the encouragement to move forward. We pray for supernatural hedge of protection around him and his family as they prepare for this for the congregation as a whole, that we would just see great things in his life. And we bless you that you uh, continue to bless us with people like John who desire to move out and upward to attract more people to you. And we just thank you for that. And we look forward to what you're going to do in his life and in the life of this church in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, just want to lift up Pastor John. Thank you, Lord, for um, uh, raising him up and calling him to... uh, proclaim your word, Lord. We ask that you give him the courage to proclaim it boldly. Uh, We ask for your blessing over uh, his church, just that you'll uh, uh, give him success, Lord, not for the sake of having a big church, Lord, but for your glory, Lord. We just ask that you you raise up volunteers for him, Lord, that are going to help him uh, just grow and expand his church and uh, give a welcoming place to people to come and grow and know you, Lord, and most importantly, uh, give their lives over to you. Uh, We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for John, and I'm thankful for his faith, his courage, his commitment. And uh, Lord, we as a church lift him up to you. And Lord, might you provoke our hearts too to consider serving on that day, being a part, and maybe if we live in the area, being a part of that church. And go and be a part of a new missionary work, expanding the kingdom, Lord. So we pray ahead of time for those that um, are far from you, that they would be one to faith in Jesus Christ through the uh, ministry uh, of Mission Grove. And we're thankful, Lord, for all that you're going to do. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus, advance your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give John a round of applause and thank him for being a part. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.